0: All right, welcome back, Crossing Broadcast. I am your host, Kyle Scott, joined, as always, by Russell Joy. Russ, hello. Good
1: morning, Kyle. Good morning, guys. We everybody. are
0: sans Adam on this Monday morning. Um, we imagine that the, the late football game may have uh, kept him out of the loop today. So uh, we're going to get started. A um, lot to talk about. Eagles' big-ish win over the Chargers, improved to 3-1 and one. A lot to like from yesterday. Uh Russ, you were at the Sixers Blue White. Was it officially called a Blue White scrimmage at the Palestra? Yep. And uh,
1: mm? Go
0: ahead. And uh yeah, and we're waking up to horrible news from Las Vegas. By the time you're listening to this, you will undoubtedly be aware. But uh twenty as of right now, as of six AM on Monday morning, twenty people shot and killed in Vegas with another hundred-some uh, wounded. So more good news from our, our great
1: planet, uh, which Well, take it, take it another step farther. The region of Catalonia in southern Spain, where Barcelona is, uh, is located, tried to do their um, their vote for independence yesterday, um, vote to secede. And they were attacked by the Spanish government, who sicked the police force on them. That was 800 people wounded by rubber bullets and, and such. In what the Spanish government had, you know, considered to be uh, uh, an illegal election. And firefighters actually stood in between the police and the people. So the world uh, yesterday, especially, was a, a very chaotic and frightening place. So, um, yeah, some sports today, which is, uh, you know, with a little bit of a somber heart worldwide here. But um, the the Sixers game yesterday, the uh, the blue and white scrimmage, man, that... The atmosphere of the Palestra. I'd never been to the Palestra before. I don't know how often how many times do you think you've been down there? I assume plenty, right? Uh yeah, for a lot of Nova games, yeah. So I'd never been there before. Um it was a really, really cool place. I liked the the atmosphere was pretty pretty intense. Um, they said see a that, college game there. Yeah. Well they said that it was a sellout. So I had a I had a few takeaways from yesterday. I thought they did a really good job. I forget the guy's name who does a lot of their social media stuff. He does the uh, uh, a lot of player interviews, a lot of the stuff on their digital side. He, um, Christian Crosby? I think that's it. Yeah, that sounds about right. He did a really good job of hyping up the crowd. Um, the the Sixers flight team, that's usually, I guess, the guys that dunk, did not dunk at all yesterday. Uh, they threw out a lot of T-shirts. And you could argue that at least one of the guys had a more, deeper, a, a more accurate deep ball than Carson Wentz. Um but uh, Ouch. Ooh, sorry, sorry, I'm gonna duck. early shot I'm, following I'm gonna, a win. I'm gonna duck. Um no, but like legitimately it was a it was a really cool atmosphere. Um I did have a few takeaways. I know it's a scrimmage, but um I felt like Markel Foltz was was really uh invisible for most of the game. He had a few interesting plays. I'm starting to get a Vince Carter vibe off of Markel Foltz. And what I mean by that is a guy who is so gifted. Uh, in in terms of his vision and and what he wants to accomplish on the court, that he ends up looking like he's not <laughs> applying much effort. Uh, all right,
0: I knew you were going to. It's what? we haven't even played no, a preseason game, and people are getting takey because no, I it comes I'm, naturally. I'm, giving you, to I'm telling
1: you, no, I'm telling you what I saw. He Ugh. he at, at little to no point really jumped off the page. Now, interestingly, Furkan Korkmaz, I don't. I think he missed one shot on the day, maybe two. Um, J.J. Reddick's quote on him was, Holy crap. Um, it, it, that was interesting. Korkmaz looked really good. If he Had plays Redick like that... How did Reddick and Simmons look? Uh, Reddick looked like a guy who's been there plenty of times. He, I think in like the, the third period, they only they played three periods, three 12-minute periods. They kept switching teams. Reddick started to look more comfortable as, as it went on. Simmons was really amazing to watch. Because of the way that he is just able to get anywhere he wants on the court, he glides. He, it's it's almost as if he doesn't even touch the floor. The only issue that I had with his game, and it's the same thing that I think we've we've all feared, is he I think attempted two jump shots, but they weren't like standstill jumpers. They were he went right to left across the lane and ended up doing kind of this fadeaway jumper, and both I think were airballs short. And so, ouch. The only, like, uh, my, my biggest takeaways, I guess, on the day were that Corkmaz could legitimately take Stauskas' spot. Fultz, I think, needs to be a little bit more decisive and not as passive. I think I need to see that Ben Simmons is going to shoot the ball. Like, there were times that he was able to, to create three to four feet of separation between he and the defender with a crossover or with a jab step and then didn't pull the trigger on, like, a, a foul line jumper. Like, those things, I think, have to change. Emeka okafor is going to make a team not this team jaleel okafor really does look skinny uh his defensive effort was still suspect but my god dude like it it is upsetting in a way you watch jaleel and some of the post moves that he has his he has such advanced footwork but it doesn't mean a thing if he can't play defense so it was a really cool atmosphere people loved it it was you know as always the sixers did a great job how uh, cool
0: was it when Embiid pumped up the crowd? I saw some of the videos. on Yeah, there. so
1: we all were kind of freaking out because the the warm warmups, everybody's out except for Joel, and as they're coming back down the court, you start to hear people in like the the bottom right section start to like lose their minds, and then out from the abyss comes Joel Embiid, not walking out but dancing out with a full. He worked up a full sweat doing whatever he had been doing before and uh it was it was just awesome man like the the roof blew off the place i do have a fear and i think i've i've said this before i'm worried that eventually ben simmons is going to do so much carrying of the team between joel either you know being hurt or missing back to backs and that eventually there's going to be this this bit of jealousy that that the crowd isn't going to cheer as loudly for ben as they are for joel and i i don't it's not like i i was reading that la- you know yesterday but it's just a, a fear a, a slight fear that I have. Now, the only other offshoot to that is I don't think Ben wants to to have the spotlight totally on him from like a a, a critical standpoint, so I'm thinking like he might actually like going a little bit more under the radar for well, as it's a, as under the radar as you can be for being an elite talent on a on a rising team if that makes well, sense. Well, yeah,
0: I mean and there there may not be uh, another player in the NBA by the end of the season who who elicits more of a reaction than Embiid so uh Simmons the thing with Simmons is like he's he's been stuck in this no man's land you have Embiid who's the stud you have Fultz who's the rookie overall number one I already hate the way I already hate the Ben Simmons prima donna narrative I'm preemptively hating the Fultz doesn't try hard narrative because I know that that is coming he just some guys just look smooth out there now, I, I didn't see the, the scrimmage yesterday, but I've s- seen him play in college. I saw the summer league games, and I I see what people see. But it's some guys just look like that, and then they you check the box score, and they had 35 and 10. So um, F- Simmons is in this weird no-man's links he didn't play last year. He's not the new thing this year. Uh, I think people forget how good he was in the summer league. So
1: anyway, is, that's good to hear. It's crazy to watch him finish with his right hand. It's almost like naturally, you know, people always make the – there, there's that like the the narrative that he shoots with the wrong hand but like when he's in close he finishes with his right more often than not so i don't know man like it, it really was cool i've been i've been hyping up simmons and the way that they've been saying that he's been dominating the gym and he really was a special guy to watch
0: so a lot of momentum behind the sixers uh pretty pretty cool to see a scrimmage filled in the palestra uh, just from the few videos i saw the excitement in there looked Incredible! We haven't had that in a while, so
1: this this season's going to be a hell of a lot of fun. It was um, a sellout for a scrimmage like that. That was the coolest part of it. It was free, is right? P, P, yeah. Well, uh at least it's not really at least for me, I, I don't know. I, I'll call it. Well, if... I don't know how the how everybody else got their tickets, but uh, thanks, Jeff. Um, but I will say it, it was really cool. It, it was like what six thousand people? How many is Pulester hold? Six, eight thousand? I think eight. And it was it was it was pretty much packed to the top for a scrimmage. Like it was cool. It, it really. It really was good to see, especially on an Eagles game day. It was it was awesome.
0: So yeah, so let's get to the Eagles. Um, we this may we may have a team number two who uh, can uh, I, I hate the phrase capture the hearts, um, but being three in, three and one in this division, I'm not uh, uh, like look. I was the guy last year after they started three zero who was like really excited. And hedged that he was wrong about Doug Peterson, and then had to eat that crow at the end of the year. But there were people out there saying, "Hey, they're, they're going to go undefeated in the division. They're that good. They just killed the Steelers." It was like, "All right, pump the brakes." Like, there's a lot, there's a lot of different factors here. It's a new coach. The, the league hasn't gotten a book on him yet. All this stuff, and it didn't end well. I will say though, the three of one this year, I I feel a little bit better about than the three and zero last year. Even though the competition hasn't been off the charts good they've looked pretty solid the defense looks um you know they they could be softed spots but overall they are a more well-rounded team and what they're doing this year feels less fluky I don't know if you know they're as good as the record would indicate but I was very impressed with the win yesterday watched it again last night um condensed version of the game second time trying to find holes as I normally do and I thought that was a good, solid end-to-end effort. Offense, defense, special teams. Areas to improve everywhere, with the exception of special team. Actually, areas to improve everywhere. But overall, pretty good road win in what was a home game, weird environment. Um, Russ, your thoughts?
1: Yeah. Um, there, there is no other way to put it than the Chargers have been an absolute failure since moving to Los Angeles. Um well, I remember, it's been three three games, like let's, you know, four games. All right, well, what I mean by that, Kyle, is that they have had a very hard time drumming up interest in their team. I think it was last week they didn't even do the player introductions because they were afraid. It was last week or two weeks ago. They were so worried that the other team, I think, I don't remember who it was, um, were going to have more cheers for the opposition so they didn't even do player intros. And then by all accounts, yesterday the Chargers were booed more than, than they were cheered uh in pregame wars, it sounded like I, I listened to part of the game on the radio i was doing a lot of driving around and coming back from the sixers scrimmage uh, it sounded like an eagles home game and so the the chargers are just like in a weird place man like they're playing in the la galaxy stadium that seats like 23 24,000 people which is half of what the the next smallest stadium being played in the nfl is and they have been, like it was on your site. They were putting tarps over the top section. Like that's the thing that you would see when a soccer team is playing in a football stadium in most cases. So like, it's just weird and it's like a surreal thing to see. Uh, the Eagles game itself, I, let me th- hold on before we, before we
0: move on from that. Uh, it's probably worth pointing now that the league, um, I can't like I can't imagine that the league finds this to be a sustainable solution. You have two teams, LA is notoriously, Mm, it's not a bad sports city, but it's notoriously nonchalant about its teams. So now you're taking two outside teams and trying to inject them into a, into a town that is ordinarily distracted anyways during a time when people are even more distracted than they ever have been before. And you're not only bringing one, but you're bringing two teams. And both thus far in their handful of home games, it has looked like an absolute farce on television. Um, I just can't, I can't foresee how this is a sustainable solution, how it's a good thing for the league. Like every uh, with the exception of a couple of random games and teams here and there, the one thing you could count on with an NFL game is you turn the game on and there is a massive stadium filled with people. And regardless of how awful the product is or how awful a particular team is, you have a, you have a, a full crowd. And to see the sport like that, I mean it looked, I'd like to hear from people who were there. There were so many Eagles fans there. I'm sure someone listening was there. How weird was that? I know the beat guys were tweeting about it, but like that had to be such an odd thing to see an NFL game in that environment. It just looked and felt so amateurish. You have soccer lines on the field, like you are the B sport in the stadium. That that's embarrassing. You can even sell out the stadium. Yeah, it's it's. super embarrassing for the league and not I, only can you not do sell wonder, it out half the people there were Eagles fans incredible I
1: actually yeah that's exactly the point like I, I do wonder out of the the abysmal number of people who were there how many were actually Chargers fans um on a positive note if you're a Chargers fan at least you know that uh you know you can just choose any game to go to and there will be a seat available for you so that's kind of nice I mean, the um, thing, if you from San Diego it's not like you can't make the drive from San Diego that's
0: the that's the crazy thing. Like you have man, if I were a San Diego, San Diego fan is... and I had
1: my team robbed for me to go become the second team in L.A., I I don't know how I would support them. That's like, true. But you, like, do you want to fill? Like, I could. I would support them from afar. I'd watch them on TV. Like, why am I going to go pay money to fill it? You know, to fill an owner's pockets that. That ripped my team away. You know what I mean? Like I, I think there's probably a little bit of that backlash as well.
0: I guess, but I'm just thinking like where I live relative to Lincoln Financial Field is probably further or as far as most Chargers fans live from L.A. So it's like That's fair. it's not an unsustainable thing, and it's kind of crazy that. I guess they all gave up because you have you know, Eagles fans who flew across the country, and you know I mean that's a great road trip spot in late September. It's a perfect time of year for that, but uh, really impressive for all those people out there. Anyway, well, the be, game. Let's, be honest
1: when yeah. when when you saw the inactives come across, we had the the thought, the feeling that Fletcher Cox was going to be out. Um, we knew obviously Darby was out, Jalen Watkins was out, and they scratched some Alu, which was interesting. When you saw that Cox was officially out. Did you have a panic moment? Did you expect the defense to collapse as as much as we had kind of said it, it very likely could? Were you? How did you feel about the defensive effort? Just overall, like I, um, I, I definitely didn't expect them to get much of a rush, um, and I thought that they were gonna miss Cox a lot more. I I do think they missed him quite a bit. Like I think they could have had a field day on Phillip Rivers holding the ball for too long, but. You know, like oh, okay. the, the the game plan changes, and I think Jim Schwartz did a a pretty solid job of of mixing up, you know, what I think they would typically have to do.
0: Yeah, I mean, so I if the de- the defense played well. I mean, the Chargers. Who knows what the Chargers are going to be this year? Uh, they held what could be a big play dynamic offense in check, um, for most of the game. Uh, if there's one weakness, and I hate to even start with this because I thought it was such a good all all around effort. It's the Eagles, and this is certainly hurt by Cox not being there, not getting quite the amount of pressure, but it's their ability to give up a big play at bad moments. So, like, you go back to the Chiefs game and the Kareem Hunt run. Uh, you go back to the Giants game and the Sterling Shepherd snapping off the 50- to 60-yard play. You go back yesterday, what was it, Keenan Allen twice? There was, there was probably three big plays in the second half where the Chargers picked up at least 40 yards in chunks. And... All of those plays have almost or have been backbreakers. I can't remember if there was one in the Redskins game. I don't think there was. And they've all almost or did cost the Eagles a game. And I feel like those things happen in the NFL, and it's easy. I feel like as Eagles fans, we see things that happen every week in football, and we overreact to them. We're like, oh, my God, this guy should be fired. It's a horrible decision. It was a horrible play. He can't catch. He should— Watch Red Zone sometime. There's some really bad football. Like there are some frustratingly horrible decisions, horrible plays, bad things happen to good players. Like this is a mediocre league with a ton of parity. Uh, that said, while big plays happen all the time, the Eagles do seem to give them up in really bad spots, and they almost or have the ability to come close to taining and otherwise really good, really solid effort. Uh, that you know defensively they put together I mean they are tough to deal with even though the corners could be a little bit soft even though the tackling at times could be a little bit wishy-washy they generally speaking put pressure on the quarterback I would say the corners thus far especially without Ronald Darby have played uh above what we expected from them the linebackers have been good they're deep uh overall just good schemes from Jim Schwartz um you know but then they give up these one or two backbreakers, and you know it's a it's a tough spot um on the yeah, flip I mean, side, like, it, yeah.
1: Well, I mean, the, the only, I guess, coming back to Cox for a second, like, Bo Allen came in, and he had one or two sacks on the day. Chris Long, you know, did a pretty decent job, had a sack. It was Derek Barnett, I believe, right, who forced the fumble in the first half. Like, they, they did get guys to step up, which was which I think was at least somewhat encouraging, especially a guy like Barnett that's, you know, a rookie that that we don't really know all that much of what to expect from.
0: I would have to go back and check... Uh, The tape and run this by more of a football guy than me. Um, There were two plays where it looked like Derek Barnett was completely lost on the field. Uh, One, he was lining up on the outside, and it looked like he was confused as to whether he should be rushing or pulling out to the flat in coverage. Uh, And there was another play where he wound up just in coverage on, I forget if it was Inman, one of the wide receivers from the Chargers, Barnett was the guy in coverage, and he was chasing him down on a slant across the field. And the guys I was watching the game with were like, was that was that Barnett out in coverage? Um, I can't imagine that's how those plays were drawn up. Maybe maybe I'm wrong. Um, but one, he looked very confused at the line as the Chargers were snapping the ball. And then another time, he was out in coverage. Again, not sure if that was intentional or a last-minute panic decision. Um I'm guessing, though, those are the sorts of rookie things they are trying to work through. I'm going to try and find the videos and GIFs and put them on the website today because it looks a little bit weird. Um, the, the thing about the big plays, and I think this offensively is what was impressive most to me yesterday. Like, we're, what are we, 20 minutes in here? We should probably mention that LeGarrette Blunt was absolutely fantastic and by far the player of the game.
1: I don't blame um, you for wanting to avoid it considering the fact that, you know, you hit the guy with a bus all summer, ran it over. Ran him over, hit reverse, hit him again, put it in a drive, <laughs> hit him again, reverse again, hit him again. So I, I'm not, I'm not too su- surprised that uh, Mr. Blunt Force Trauma, you know, has uh, maybe concussed you for the day. I am, and, uh, and you wouldn't want to talk about it.
0: I'm, I'm happy to admit when I was wrong. I am not ready to do that yet with him. By the way, um, it's been, you know, he's had a a good game and a half. So I'm, I'm like going to pump the brakes on that so far. But I will say, and I and look, I've been complimentary of him basically since the preseason. Even after week two, it was like, all right, well, you can't really blame Blunt. He didn't get the ball. It was a little bit of a weird situation, and he seemed disgruntled, and this seemed to be going to a bad spot. But ever since the preseason when people were, were like, well, he looks slow. He didn't look uh, – this could be a problem. He couldn't get to the edge. And I said to people, I was like, hey, I actually think he's running with some sort of – uh spirit he's bringing a little oomph into the line and if he could fall forward for five or six yards all the time like we would take that out of him but I know I've said this on here where his strength is is yes he's he's a bruiser and he's a big guy and he's hard to bring down but it's not just barreling into the line once he hits that second level He's first and foremost very hard to bring down, and we saw that yesterday. He was dynamic to watch. Watching a guy like that run, he did it last week, I think fires up a crowd and a team so much, even if he only gets an extra yard or two, just to see defenders have to struggle the way they did. But where he's really excels and is kind of a dynamic player, is for a guy his size, when he gets out in space and gets a little bit of room. We saw it on the long run. There was probably two other runs of 10-plus yards where we saw it, where it's like he is fast, and he has moves, and and once he gets going, he has such a head of steam, he's tough to bring down. So all good things yesterday. When's the yesterday. last, when's the last
1: time you saw an Eagles running back just bowl guys over like that? Like uh, maybe Maybe like one good Ryan Matthews play over the last few years, but, like, Blunt actually was really funny after the game. I don't know if you heard it. Um, I think it was, he was being interviewed by Derek Gunn. He was asked about, um, did you run out of gas on that play? Did you think you were going to make the end zone? And he's like, I thought I was going to make the end zone. Yes, I ran out of gas. I am not ashamed of it whatsoever. Uh, it was, he's like, he said, you know, it's 80-something degrees. And, uh, you know what, I, I gotta I got to kind of circle back around to something I think I said after the first game or the second game. Um, LeGarrette Blunt historically had, had been known as a guy that had some off-field and in-the-locker-room issues, and he's been nothing but a pro. If you think about a guy who, who signed that had been a number one back elsewhere for a Super Bowl contending team, to have not really had any impact on the game plan whatsoever in, in the second game of the season, and to see the way that he's bounced back, like the way that he reacted in the, in the locker room after that game, and how he's reacted every game since... He 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 doesn't seem like a guy who's got this massive ego, uh, you know. After a bad game, or even after a really good game like yesterday, he's very level-headed. He was very complimentary of the offensive line. I think like the first the first thing he thanked was God, and the second thing he he thanked was his offensive line for blocking. And so, I I think he's actually been a very good influence on their locker room. You know, obviously not having been in there and gotten the real feel for the team, but. He's bringing really good veteran leadership, and that's exactly what you need. And it's got to be nice if you're Carson Wentz to know that you can hand the ball off to a guy that will blow up defenders so that you don't have to run a QB sneak uh, you know, every fourth and one. Well, and after um, that
0: second game, everyone was getting on him for... Like the media was just trying to create a wedge between him and the team. And he was clearly frustrated that he didn't get the ball, but he could not have handled himself better, no matter how yep. many times someone asked him a probing question to get him to stick his foot in his mouth. And then, of course, they found the half a sentence at the end where he said, well, you'd have to ask Doug, and tried to turn it out of context. Sounds significantly worse than it did. So yep. I agree with you there. Um, yeah, he, he's been good. Um, I think what impressed me most about... The offense yesterday was that they got a few plays over the top. Uh what? One to Ertz and one to Aguilar. Aguilar. Yep. Yeah. Um to me that is it's those big plays on both sides of the ball that could separate the Eagles from being 8 and 8 and 10 and 10 and 6. We talked about it defensively. Um, There's been a few this year that have hurt them or come close to hurting them. And offensively, what I think we've all been waiting to see is them doing something over the top. Not that there's anything wrong with the, you know, we could talk about the screen passes and all that. Generally speaking, that is how they move their offense. And when they're running well, that opens up so many more things. And I think last week, our takeaway was, hey, you were running the ball well. It would be nice now to start completing a pass over the top and you start to have a pretty dynamic offense. None of those forget, passes were bombs, but I yeah. will take I will take a guy catching a ball over his shoulder and running out in space of 15 plus 10 yards as a good over-the-top play. So I thought those were two very well-thrown balls by Wentz, and uh, more of that,
1: please. There was another really well-thrown ball that he had. I think it was in the first quarter. I want to say they lined up at their 25 or at their 30, and Carson found Torrey Smith uh, in a pretty tight window, going out towards the right sideline, maybe five, maybe three, three yards, you know, inside of the uh, the touch line, and it hits Smith in the hands. And if he catches it, he has the the breakaway speed to get away from. I think there was a safety that he beat on the play, and instead it clanks off his hands, like he has it and he drops it. And this kind of comes back to an issue that we were worried about all throughout the uh, the preseason and all throughout training camp is were Tory Smith's hands going to show up this season or not. And like, there's no doubt that him being on the field and, and having to keep the defense honest in terms of being able to stretch the field uh, and, and knowing that he's got the speed to beat you vertically. Like there is something to be said for that, but that's going to continue to, to start to dwindle. The more that the guy is dropping passes. He was targeted three times on the, on the game on the day yesterday. Um, one reception for nine yards. And like I said, if he makes that other catch, it's at least a 45-yard pickup. Uh, at, at best, it goes for a touchdown. You can't have a veteran-wide receiver like that have a ball perfectly hit him in the hands in stride, where like typically we say that, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that we've seen Carson throw some deep balls, and a lot of times they're, they're, the timing is off or he underthrows it. This is a, a moment where it wasn't really... You know, an arcing deep ball. I think it was more of a a bit of a laser beam. But you I think know, the, we're the beginning to holds. see.
0: Yeah, I think we're beginning to see why Tory Smith is such. You know, has a tenuous NFL career. Uh, like he clearly like he's has, good, but his yeah, hands. He's, man, he's, I don't know if he's good. That's the thing. It like he I'd he clearly has he the speed. He clearly has the physical abilities. Like he should, in theory be able to be everything when you look at him you're like hey that that guy could be um you know I, I don't know if Keenan Allen's the right example but like that guy could be a dynamic NFL receiver he should be able to catch a slant across the middle and take it past the safeties and he should be able to get some plays over the top and he's you know fairly he's got a you know reasonable amount of size he's not the Sean Jackson out there so it's like um so it's like I don't know, and you're seeing him drop passes. You saw him miss several key blocks. You saw him um, not yesterday the blocks early in early in the thing. Um, So like he's, you know, he's like a more talented Nelson Aguilar who you know really still hasn't put it together, and it's disappointing to see because that over the top threat would be so good for the Eagles, but you get the sense that he's just never going to materialize into the player that people thought he would be. Um, He is on.
1: in, In fairness, he is on on pace by exponential growth to eclipse what he's done probably what he did both years with san francisco last year he only had 20 receptions uh this year he's already up to 10 in four games oh the that previous year weird. He, had, he had he had 33 receptions in 2015 for them i'm just saying like well, he's I, also I he's think, think, also
0: the second starting receiver for a 3 and one team you
1: know yeah, and, and what's and turning out to be mean, a
0: pretty decent offense
1: the other thing you have to remember is he keeps the defense honest. Like, I think that's the number one thing that Torrey Smith brings to the table. He has the drops. It's well documented. But if you look at, at his stats throughout his career, he, his, his long, his longest play is at least 53 yards every season. Sometimes it goes up to 74 yards. Like I, I get the idea that he might not be a reliable receiver. And this is why he's become a, a journeyman in his career, but he he brings something to the table that the Eagles do not have without him. If if you were to cut Tory Smith right now and replace him with say like Bryce Treggs or something, somebody who has outside speed, I think Treggs doesn't doesn't draw nearly the amount of defensive pressure that that Tory does because Tory's done it over the the course of his career. If that yeah. makes sense.
0: Yeah, I would just say it's frustrating to. Yeah, like he, he's he's better than he's the better best option they have for that position, but I would just say it's just it's disappointing to see him not piece it all together. For um, sure. the the other thing I was impressed with was the slants. Like we we've talked about this that I think you mentioned it after week two, maybe. that like Every play feels like it takes long to develop, and Carson is waiting a beat too long, and then he has to scramble, and then he completes a pass to a stationary receiver 12 yards downfield. And I think each game we've had something that we've keyed on to complain about. First it was the screen passes. Then it was the fact that like they couldn't just get a rhythm offensively with short, quick passes. Last week it was the fourth down decision. I thought yesterday all of those areas. Obviously the running game, very good again. Um, they got a couple of passes over the top, but there was multiple slant-type passes, you know, slant or call them quick outs, quick ins, whatever you want to call them, to uh, specifically Jeffrey and Earths. Uh, by my count, there was... I had a note here where I just briefly jotted down for them. There may have officially been more or less, but um, they were able to move the ball in those quick beat timing passes that don't pick you up a ton of yards. You know, neither Ertz or Jeffrey is going to go blowing by everybody, but it was nice to see Ertz catch a couple of passes and then put one foot in front of the other after hauling the ball in, which we don't always see from him. Um, So I don't know, like I don't know what else there is to say about the offense other than it was it was clicking in all facets we got
1: two other things about the offense. Um, hey, look at this.
2: Hey, what? what's up? It's Legarrett Blunt. How are you guys doing?
1: Hey, how are you doing?
2: You know, I feel good. I came in yesterday. I ran for like, you know, a good amount of yards. And I just had to prove Kyle Scott wrong. So, you know, feeling nice.
1: You, uh, you actually ran for 136 yards and you had 20 yards receiving. I'm really proud of you.
2: Thanks, man. You know, Rocky joining like the pod. Had the, had, the <laughs> Eagles, fa- had the Eagles faithful behind me. You know, It was like a home game, so it felt real good.
1: This is really nice, Kyle. I didn't even know that you, uh, that you booked him. That's really yeah, exciting. Yeah, this is, this, is this, this
0: is an honor. Um, All right,
1: so, so really so, quick. The other, the other Yeah, two we're just on that, the offense.
0: That, fill in where you need to be.
1: The, the only other two things that I, I, I had as takeaway is that I said last week that I'm still a little bit concerned that they're not able to get Alshon Jeffrey the ball. Um, he had 29 yards on the day. Uh, six targets, three receptions. He did have a touchdown. Uh, I think it is time that we we maybe officially say that Zach Ertz has had his breakout season. Uh, like this is this is not another annual warning shot. Like I think it is legit. He led the team again in targets. He's making the most of his opportunities. He's got pretty sure hands. He had the longest reception on the day at 38 yards. He averaged 16 which was not the longest uh, average reception, but, like, the guys become the number one weapon on the offense. Uh, And so if it is going to be that Alshon Jeffrey is going to be blanketed all game by the opposing team's best corner and that gives you mismatches and that leads to Ertz, you know, getting first downs and such, then uh, I I guess you can't complain, right?
0: No, and he's been... um... You know, it's not that he hasn't shown the ability. It's just that he hasn't done that early in the season. And I think Jim McCormick wrote the piece for us before week one. Like, he, all the things are working in his favor. Second year in a row with the quarterback, doesn't come into the season injured. Like, everything's pointing in the direction of him um, just being the guy we think he could be. And I wouldn't say he's breaking out. I mean, when, you know, we see a 100-yard, two-touchdown game, you'd be like, wow, um, five receptions, 81 yards is is perfect from your tight end. Um Another thing that's impressive looking at the box score, you have four guys with long plays of over 20 yards. Uh, two of them over 30 yards, both uh, Blunt, Smallwood, Aguilar, and all- Ertz all had plays over 20. Aguilar and Ertz with plays over 30 yards. That is something that uh, we should be applauding. None over 50. We still haven't seen the big home run threat, but I think the offenses yesterday looked like they were beginning to develop um, a pretty, pretty dynamic attack. And, the running game. This was something um, I think Kevin put this together earlier this week. But he's like, hey, if, if Smallwood could fill into that Sproles role, and he didn't have a great game, but he was effective. Corey Clement. He's he might not be a star, and 10, 10 attempts for thirty yards isn't going to jump off the page at anybody. But he runs confidently. He runs hard into the line. He typically picks up positive yardage. And though it was a little bit curious to see him getting the ball as much as he did on that final drive, where the Eagles just just yeah, like ejaculated away the final six and a half minutes impressively through a mix of short passes and runs seeing him get the ball was a little bit scary but he did a nice job and then obviously you have you have blunt just being the being a dynamic runner the you know i they're not going to break rushing records but i thought this was a pretty it's a pretty balanced running attack if all those guys are able to you know be as effective as they were yesterday and with smallwood and Clement you know, 30 and 33, 34 yards should be something they can do every week with no problem. What are your thoughts on the offense? Adam?
2: Hey guys, left here. I told the Garrett to take a step away. Um, I'll tell you the first thing is I, I thought about what we talked about on Friday, which was the Eagles creating an identity of a downhill running attack. And I thought what they did early in the game with kind of like the run, the, like the run and then the play action in the second quarter, I rewatched the game last night, dude, The Chargers, they they were biting on everything. The linebackers and safeties were being held because they were legitimately afraid of the run. And then all of a sudden, the slants to Ertz were wide open across the middle. The slants to Aguilar were wide open because the linebackers couldn't move. They, They established... They they legitimately established an identity, and that's what I thought was so great. And Carson looked so comfortable coming off of the play action. Um, I thought that, you know, Alshon Alshon was making the catches he needed to make, and I also thought that we've given a lot of shit to Carson about not throwing a good deep ball, and I thought he had a lot of touch on a lot of his throws yesterday. I thought the throw to Zach Ertz was fantastic. The throw to Torrey Smith that he dropped was fantastic. Uh, He had a few other deep throws I thought were were right on the money Aguilar but yeah it was it was fantastic but um, this is not a good run defense that we faced however the play calling is what I was paying attention to and other than the third quarter when they really only had two possessions I thought they were committed to the run they were focused to the run and LeGarrett is a fucking beast. He's an absolute beast and he he did what they had to do yesterday and I I thought it was an all-around really good effort from the offense. What I thought on the was play interesting calling, they, Go ahead.
1: they it was it was like a 2 to 1 ratio on the day rushing to to passing. Which is like again, we we talked I think it was last <laughs> week about is Doug listening too much to the fans Is he going over the top with it but but you're right. Like the downhill identity of a of a running attack for this team makes sense, and it and it's been effective. We you know we spent a plenty of time praising Kyle's least favorite player on the team, Legarrette Blunt, and you know it's it 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 is nice to see. It's it's weird. Like when is the last time the Eagles have had a legitimate downhill running attack? I can't think of it.
2: Deuce Daly. I will also say you got to give a shout out to Jake Elliott for being a baller, and I think absolutely. M- maybe he hits that 61-yard field goal and all of a sudden he turns into David Akers because the confidence is just so darn overwhelming but awesome. i mean he hit like a 47 a 48 and, and there was no doubt 53. and they were it was they were straight there was no issue there was no curvature at all and uh man that was an amazing home game yesterday what what a good home win the videos really coming out of that City. place are crazy Just like all the videos on Instagram and the players' reactions about how that was a home-field advantage, it's embarrassing for the Chargers. But that's also something where uh, if there was any little piece of the Eagles players' thoughts of, man, the Eagles fans are tough or we don't – you know what I mean? Like if there's ever that Philly problem, that yesterday is a huge elixir to like, wow, we have amazing fans.
0: And you look at the – yeah, no – I. I agree with you. It's like you have you have guys who want to say, okay, this is a really demanding place to play, and then the flip side is you go out to L.A. and you have a home game in a soccer stadium, uh, hard to beat. Um, uh, on the running game, I mean, I, I didn't realize this at the time. Time possession was forty, basically forty minutes to twenty minutes in favor of the Eagles, which is which is damn impressive in a game that wasn't, you know, wasn't like a blowout. It wasn't like they were running out the clock like that. That that is that is impressive. I would say about Jake Elliott. Um, like when you look, Cody Parkey had he was awful. But for a little while there, you're like, "Hey, this guy's pretty good. He's making kicks." But like his kicks would go in, and they looked bad. You're like, "Well, he makes them. We'll we'll set it aside." And um, who was the stiff they had before that? That really tall. Yes, Henry. Yes, Alex you. Henry from Henry. Nebraska. Same deal. Really he would spent hit a draft pick on yeah. even when he would make the long ones. You'd be like, "God, that didn't look so good." Elliot was just drilling them yesterday. Yeah, if you didn't tell me that he was a rookie, and you were just watching the game, and say, "Hey, hey, what do you think of this kicker?" You know, well, this guy, this guy's been in the league for five years, and he's he's among the top third in the NFL. He just looks all around solid. So I can't imagine that uh, Sturgis gets his job back unless a guy who, as a guy who, a guy who fancies
1: himself a fan of sports where guys kick a ball, uh, I am a big fan, and I I said in his first game, I think it was he missed. A, missed what a first half field goal and I, and and that was I think a 46 yarder but like the difference between a Cody Park here and Alex Henry and Jake Elliott is he missed that first field goal was it week 2 week 3 and uh no it's week 2 no it was week, it was week 3 um he misses a uh, a field goal but he's got 15 yards of leg on it like where it's not just trickling over the crossbar even the 61 yarder wasn't a trickle across across the uh the post, like the guy has a, a definite leg and you can't teach a guy to kick the ball longer. It, you either have it or you don't. Um, that's it. That was a really I terrible forget, way to finish. I it. forget how I'm David acres. No, I forget how
2: David Akers was introduced to the team, but there's like how he had to get thrown into action. Um, but I do love when you have a player that kind of comes out of nowhere. The storyline is fantastic. One thing also that we've talked about last week, we talked at nauseum about fourth and eight from the from the forty eight or forty three. Um, the fact that we had a fourth and one on the forty second and they called a quarterback sneak uh, early in the game. I love. I, I I think with Carson Wentz, I need all the quarterback sneaks. I mean, the guy is so big, and all. I feel like last year it was like. Fourth and short, Darren Sproles on a draw. And it, it was just bad <laughs> play calling. Quarterback sneak all day. Carson Wentz was great. I know you guys probably already talked about the defense. Um, I just want to say that, like, one, Derek Barnett's best game of the year, hands down. Like, he he had a play where he was running with Keenan Allen. He had another play where he was in the backfield. let field. me ask you
0: about that play because I actually yes. mentioned that. That had, a, that had to be a mistake, right?
2: So that was a play where you blitz a linebacker, but you drop back a lineman. Uh, And I don't think that, I think you're kind of expecting him to be on a tight end. Uh, It's Kyle. That's the defensive equivalent of when they tried to have Zach Ertz block Joey Bosa. It's like, you're kind of like, yeah. And so then Derek Barnett will drop back and grab the guy in the slot. And it's like, guys, it's Keenan freaking Allen. But he was running with him. Like, it was it was really impressive. And then, like, I'm watching at one point, he goes in there, and he runs with Keenan Allen. And the very next play, he gets a tackle for a loss, busts up the left tackle, stops the running back for minus one. And then I was like, I got to talk about that because Derek Barnett shut me up, and I loved it. So he was that's his versatility i don't know if he's going to be a big sack guy but he'll be what they thought marcus smith could have been which is he can drop back he can rush the passer i thought that was great but it was a little unfortunate to see rasul douglas getting picked on as much as he was because man every every time they saw him they went at him but uh man carson wentz is we got ourselves a quarterback and the, the the carson wentz jared goff competition is officially on like, golf looked great yesterday, and I know they play each other later in the year, but golf versus Wentz is officially going to be a legitimate head-to-head title bout.
1: The thing that... well, Go ahead. Well, yeah, it's my last point because i got to go. Um, the, the thing that I was the most concerned about over the, uh, the course of the offseason, especially after the Jordan Matthews trade, was we talked about who's going to be a reliable guy, who's going to be the go-to on, on uh, trying to get a first-down reception. And as of right now, it's Zach Ertz by a, a little bit of a margin. He's got 17 first down receptions. Alshon Jeffrey's got 12. If if both of those guys keep the pace up, they both would have eclipsed the last the last season's top first down receiver. Um, it it is it it's like I said, Zach Ertz in in this uh, this season of you know season what six or seven of breakout. No, it's not that long. Um, it's, yeah, it's just awesome. It's awesome. It's awesome, to, it's awesome to see that it feels like it's been six or seven. Uh, it it is awesome to see that the guy that you spent the most money to bring in here, Alshon, and the guy that you've been hoping to have a breakout season in Zach Ertz, are the guys that are are by far leading the team in first down receptions, and that. Right, I gotta hold you honest two, too because two two, two, two weeks options.
0: in a row you've shit on Alshon, and now you're complimenting him. No, so I'm you, not. You gotta, you gotta you gotta choose Alshon. a lane no, here.
1: What? Well, no, you, I'm not crapping on Alshon. What? Like 10 minutes ago, you
0: said it would be nice for them to get the ball to Alshon more, and now you're complimenting him.
1: I'm not saying – am I saying it's his fault? No. Okay. I'm saying I'm I'm glad that he is a reliable first-down option. I'm also saying that I'm disappointed that they're not able to get him the ball. Fair. That's not me crapping on him. I'm not saying that Alshon is incapable of getting open. I'm saying I would like to see Doug be able to design a game plan where you're able to get him the ball in space.
2: Yeah, the only thing I'm, I'm disappointed th- in Alshon right now excuses. is the only thing I'd like to see out of Alshon, and I'm I'm sure you guys agree with me, I'm still waiting for the, oh, shit, Alshon just mossed somebody and, like, he took the ball away and out-jumped yes. it. Like, I'm still waiting for one of the, that's why you pay him the big bucks. Money. Like, he's made the catch last week to set the field goal was great. He's super reliable, which is very nice. I just want the, oh, shit, play.
0: I'm waiting. he's had so a few of those opportunities, What's to happen in the red too. zone? He's like, had, red had a few opportunities where the ball has come his way. Uh, there was one yesterday. There's been like one every game where it was a, it was a tough ball and he would have had to reach around the other guy's helmet. And I don't know. It may have hit a helmet yesterday. I didn't see the replay. But he's had those chances. And yeah, you're not going to catch that more than 50 percent of the time. But I'm with you, Adam. Like I'm waiting for I'm waiting for the he went up and got that with one arm sort of play. And I don't. You know, it's going to come. But it it would be nice to have seen it uh, four weeks into the season.
2: How great was the Philip Rivers, uh, like, mini temper tantrum yesterday? That was so great. He, like, shook, and he, like, his mouthpiece came out, and he's yelling at his offensive coordinator. Oh, God. He seriously looked
1: like, to make a comparison, it looked like TJ McConnell had a a ball deflect out, and and the call went against him in the scrimmage, and he legitimately did a jump up and land on both feet at the same time in the ref's face like my two-year-old if I say no ice cream um better question is who is going to have a longer tenure at this point philip rivers with the chargers or pete mckinnon with the phillies i'll hang up and listen
0: Uh, we're not going to yet
1: i still see
0: um yeah i i think uh the rivers i saw people tweeting last night about rivers um that like he he just never quite got it and when you look on the field at Carson Wentz and then you look at Rivers demeanor now like every every quarterback gets mad on the field from time to time but there's a I think there's a level that you don't go past before you start showing up your coach and losing you know having your team lose confidence around you and Rivers does this a lot where he looks flustered on the field where he looks pissed off and, you know, you're never getting that from Carson Wentz. And I think that is one of the things that has kept Rivers back from being a great quarterback. He's always been just good enough to frustrate you in the fact that he's not better, I feel like. And that was that was fun to watch. I don't know what happened there because he was mad earlier. There was a play like three plays earlier where you could tell he was pissed off at something. Uh, and whatever whatever happened there just put him over the edge. I
2: think what kills him is he had Mike McCoy as his coach for the last few years, who's right now the offensive coordinator for Denver, and that's why people are like, man, Denver's offense looks better offensive coordinators matter like they're so big so he had this connection with Mike McCoy where the plays would come in at a certain time and he'd feel comfortable yesterday all the freakouts that I saw looked because they weren't getting the play in in time and the plays they were getting in he didn't like because now his offensive coordinator is the much celebrated Ken Wisenhunt who I think is very overrated but uh yeah it's just you know it's a guy at the end of his career he's been doing it his way for so long and then all of a sudden new guy comes and he's freaking out and i man and then i I bet you he had to look over at carson and be like man that's the newer more improved version of me and that had to eat at him but man wait so so what did you think overall like were you surprised were you happy like what was your take on the game overall
0: yeah, I thought it was I thought it was a great end-to-end effort. Like offensively, I said the rust, you know, and obviously people listening, but they had the uh, the running game was clicking on all cylinders. You had every guy doing his role and you know, Smallwood and Clement weren't playing Above their means, they were doing what we think they could be capable of on a weekly basis. Blunt probably will, well, is going to regress, but that's okay. He's not, you know, you're not going to get 130-some yards out of him every day, and that's fine. But all three of those guys ran the ball effectively. The line got good pushes. Carson Wentz, um look, there's still there were still a couple of throws going back, watching the game. He was still 17 for 31. It wasn't like he was slinging it out there. Uh, but he's, first of all, his ability to evade pressure, Effectively, even when nothing happens with the play to ev- evade the initial rough rush is very impressive at times he, re- I don't know if, how much you play Madden, but when a guy's coming at you in Madden and you try and make a precision move, but you're jamming on the turbo button, and your guy doesn't make the precision move. He just kind of like swings wildly from left to right because you're you're trying to have him do it with turbo. That to me is what Wentz at times looks like when he's scrambling. Like he's, he's being just a bit too quick. And the difference between him and Rodgers is Rodgers can sidestep those things, but then quickly reset himself. And at the moment, Wentz still kind of struggles to get his feet back under him. I think that will come with time as you get a little bit more experience. But his ability to avoid the initial rush. They had the quick slant passes that we talked about they hit a couple of the -the over-the-top balls I wouldn't call them the home run balls yet but they had three big plays on the day one of which was a blunt run two of which were passes offensively they look good defensively very solid yeah you know obviously you're missing a little bit the At times, the corners and secondary can look a little soft and tackling can be an issue. Giving up that huge play to Keenan Allen after what I think was a, the correct decision to punt with under a minute to go and pin the Chargers back. Uh, it took the Chargers a huge Keenan Allen broken play and an offside penalty to gain uh, 80-some yards that they did on consecutive plays. That's not going to happen all the time, so I do think that was the right call. Um, I said this to Russ. The only thing about the defense is they they come very close each week to souring a really good effort with an inopportune big play. The Kareem Hunt play, the Sterling Shepard play, a couple of the plays yesterday to Keenan Allen. And it's like, when you watch the game back, it's like this, this defense is really good. 85% of the time. And there's big plays across the league all the time. It's not just an, an, an Eagles thing, obviously, but they seem to buckle at sometimes just the wrong moment. And that's a little bit scary, but You did have the offense make up for it with some big plays of their own. So I thought overall, overall, a great game. Um, You know, we haven't seen them play elite competition yet, but I would think anyone, anyone would have signed up for three and one at this point of the season with three road games. Um, And, you know, they were in the game and arguably controlled part of the game against the Chiefs. So if you could go, you could go, what, three and call it three and two over the next five. You have a 6-3 and three team heading into uh, the back half of what will prove to be a potentially difficult second half of the schedule, but they should be right there in the division until the end. Like That's the nice thing about starting off strong, that even if you shit the bed a few times and you're in a, a kind of mediocre division like this, we should be watching competitive, meaningful Eagles football into December and, and hopefully into January.
2: Yeah, I will say that they did. I will say that uh, Kansas City is an elite competition to play Kansas City. Yeah, in you're Kansas right. I, City. you're right. you're right. You're right. I was meant a beating test. an elite team. But right, yes. right. Yep. Um, the I did you give credit to Lagarrett hundred percent. A
0: hundred percent. Okay, good. I am happy. I'm not ready to admit that I was wrong yet. I need
2: because I, to have Carson and Lagarrett in the backfield, both people that seemingly break so many tackles. Um, it's, it's really funny for me cause I'm sitting there going, how good would this team be with your normal straight ahead quarterback slash running back? Like how much of the play calling is reliant on these guys saving their ass and, and making a play. Like I was watching the Texans yesterday and I was like, this offense is being called exactly the same as when Tom Savage was in. But Deshaun Watson, like, makes a guy miss and then throws the ball. And it's the same thing with Carson. Like, Jared Goff, I don't think, could play in the Eagles offense because Carson has to, like, dodge Bosa, run back, do a spin, roll right, and then throw a 15-yard pass uh, to Zach Ertz. And And the same thing with Blunt. It's like he's hitting the backfield, he jumps up, does a spin, and then runs for seven yards all while carrying the linebacker. And I don't I don't know how great the play calling is or if Blunt and Wentz are just that fantastic. I, I don't know.
0: Well yeah, and I, I would I would attribute more of that to some line breakdowns than the play calling, at least yesterday. I, I thought Doug called a good game. He ran the ball more than he passed, which is something I don't think you can do every week, but we were asking for and we got it two weeks in a row now. He's stuck with the run. By the way, before Blunt broke off that huge run, he had probably like three straight runs of like two to three yards, maybe a little bit less. And those are the sort of things that Peterson and and the Andy Reeds of the world would just give up on the run game. But to his credit, he kept going back to Blunt, kept going back. He was running effectively. And then, like you saw, um, what was it, two weeks ago with Kareem Hunt, you keep going back and eventually you're gonna get that big one. And and that's to his credit. I thought he called a good game. I don't I
2: thought he did too. I thought he did too. And to your point De- about the defense, I just wanna say for them to do that without Fletcher Cox yesterday was fantastic. Uh, I thought Bo Allen played a really good game. I thought early on, Jernigan was everywhere. And then later on, he kind of disappeared a little bit, uh, which is that's the reason what happens with defense. Defense gets tired. They have to keep running. Offense just kind of sits there and deals with them. But to play without Fletcher Cox and all of the corners, like to go three and one without Ronald Darby, who's coming back supposedly in a few weeks, like that's incredible. We should have Fletcher back healthy. I know Hicks was playing banged up but uh you're right they do sort of get tired out by the end of the game and I think that's partially because Schwartz's mentality is attack 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 that eventually either when you a stop attacking or b get tired from attacking those kind of big let-ups can happen but Keenan Allen and Kareem Hunt are are also special Sterling Shepard I think was a Chris Maragos problem
0: yeah and um Probably also also worth pointing out the two weeks in a row now they've played in 85 plus degree hot sunny days, which is uh, I think you saw it for on both defenses on both sides of the field each of the last two weeks begin to begin to tire. Yeah,
2: our defense is going to feast next week. Arizona's offensive line is such shit. And we'll talk about it later. Me and Sims call them the no legs and ass offensive line. Like they're just all these old guys whose butts have devolved and they just have no leverage whatsoever. Dude, they were in a field goal battle with the 49ers. I don't want to get ahead of ourselves, but, uh, you know, four and one is a possibility. And that, that I would have not picked at all, uh, to get the two AFC road games out of the way to get a win. The giants are eliminated. (laughs) Like, they're done. They're 0-4. The the Cowboys lost to Jared Goff at home. You know, we're going to get a chance to play the Rams. I think we're going to do okay. But the Cowboys are 2-2. Washington's our biggest competition, and we freaking beat them already in Washington. It's a good situation to be in. It's a
0: great spot. 2-0 in the division. You have the road win against a team that could be the most competitive with you. I'm with you. Uh, I mean, look, there's so much parity in the NFL. You watch... I'm just just watching the league. There's a lot of bad football. I mean, the Patriots lose at home. The Patriots are two and two. There is this is such a just a generally mediocre league. And this is why maybe we mentioned this on Friday. I hate the schedule things back in the spring because no one sees the Eagles starting with three of their first four games on the road coming out of that three and one. It's it's really darn impressive. Um, Two quick points um on the play on the play calling the only thing i had a problem with yesterday and i'm not trying to nitpick here but i was i was watching it with my uh my neighbor and a couple of his a couple of his buddies and we were remarking how well, after blunt broke off that big run he was clearly gassed he even said as much after the game and then he's still out there everybody all eight people in that stadium and on both sidelines knew that he was getting the ball and I felt like Doug got a little predictable down there because you're like, yep, he's going to get it. Yep, he's going to run into the line. Yep, he's going to run into the line. Then they're going to try and pass, and it's not going to work. And then they got another set of downs, and then finally you had Wendell Smallwood punch it in on, like, the fifth attempt. Uh, I did think he just got a little bit of tunnel vision once they got down there, and he was maybe trying to get LeGarrette Blunt the six points because he deserved it and got them the length of the field. That that was a little bit frustrating to watch um, because I think, I think he the one thing about the Eagles is they do have some creative short yardage East West plays that they can run in those situations. And he didn't go to them. Um, I would say the other things that stood out on a positive note were a couple of those like fake reverses. They ran a few of those and had a guy wide open in space coming out of the flat. That was impressive. Um, yeah, I I just think a lot, a lot to like yesterday. I, I had another point, but it's escaping. Yeah.
2: To that point though, about the red zone, um, I think the one thing that Aaron... I would take Jared Goff's play calling in the red zone and and Sean McVay's actually, and Aaron Rodgers' actions. I don't feel like the Eagles run enough like slant or flat combinations that cause the pick plays. Uh, and obviously you have to practice that because it's getting penalized across the league right now. But Goff always has like a good slant to go at. And Aaron Rodgers is the greatest red zone quarterback ever like his stati- yeah. his statistics are insane but so much of it is he sits back there and Carson's ability to run uh, I think should allow him to do what Aaron does which is rolling out and then forcing a defender on an island by threatening the run and I think that it's either Wentz kind of throwing a fade or it's pounding ahead with Blunt. And I'm just, like yesterday, I know exactly what sequence we are talking about that led to the Wendell Smallwood touchdown. It was run right, run left, run up the middle, run right. And, like, all the penalties kept extending it. But um, they, I do think they need a little bit more creativity down there. Uh, but at the same point, you know, when you just...
0: Yeah, I, I I by the way, I love the notion. If you pancake a guy, or if you if you truck a guy, you uh you just get to take his soul with you. I like that as like a uh, as like a little bonus as you go through someone. Um, I. <laughs> um. Nice. Nice. Um. The thing, uh, while we're nitpicking the, the play calling down there, I will say, and you know, this is your point about, hey, where would the Eagles be without Carson Wentz evading pressure, without Blunt taking guys on his back? I'll say this. About every Doug Peterson game, for the most part, over a year and a quarter it is now, they always find a way. Like, this team is never. I, I can't think of how many games have they really even been blown out, and that doesn't happen a lot in the NFL. But the, even in the games they lost last year, I mean, they were on the flip side of being nine and seven with a couple of ma- maddening in-game calls that could have gone the other way. But generally, as a schemer, like I think Doug is at his best when he's scheming. I still worry big time about him costing the Eagles games with questionable fourth down decisions or play calls at bad times. But generally speaking, I think where he excels, uh, you probably hear my dog, where he excels as a coach is is in his scheme because it differs every game. Uh, We've seen four different plans of attacks through four games this year. All of them have had some level of success, some more than others. But I'm always amazed... And I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but regardless of how they got there, I'm always amazed when the Eagles get down to the 10-yard line. I've said this a bunch of times. It's like, how did we get here? Sometimes you see the over-the-top plays like we saw yesterday, but more often than not, it's Dinkin and Duncan, East and West. It's a it's a slant route. They've been using the running game lately, and it, it's beginning to look a little bit more dynamic and effective. But I would just say, generally speaking, whatever he does, he seems to take the weapons that he has and constructs something that gets them scores and keeps them in the game. And I know people rag on me for always going back to Villanova. My first three years there was 01 through 04, and they were not... Good. They were NIT teams each of those years, and yet they played you know top five competition in the Big East. I remember one game they had guys suspended for this goofy phone card scandal, which in hindsight, looking back on everything Rick Pitino's done, was haha, nothing. Um, but they were playing with walk-ons against number two Pitt at the end of the year. Most of their guys were in suits on the bench. And Villanova was awful. They were like a 500 team. And they ground it down to a two-point game with like 30 seconds to go. And they did that multiple times in years when they did not have their top 25 team. And I was always marvelled at like Jay Wright's ability to just sort of extract and keep games close ugly. And what I'll say about Doug Peterson is yesterday wasn't ugly. But for almost every game here, he has somehow managed whatever he had on offense to like I, I don't know like get get in the scoring position frequently and regardless of how they do it. So I don't know if it's a fluke that, oh, well, Wentz is evading pressure and you need blunt shredding blockers. That wasn't the case last year. They were just dink and dunk their way, and the next thing you know, you look up and they're on the eight-yard line. It's, it's hard to verbalize that, but it's I'm impressed that they're always able to seem to extract something out of whatever it is he has to work with. And it seems like he can offset the sprawls loss just by some sort of ingenuity, and that, I think, is if there's a plus side to him as a head coach, to me that's where it is, and that's that's where I'll compliment him. Ha <laughs> Yeah, that's a fair point. I think we're probably looking at this with uh, green and silver colored glasses and trying to look the you know look that negative in the mouth as a positive. But I will say, over even the last three or four years, when the Eagles have had long stretches where they've struggled a little bit, it's always been Sproles to bail them out. Sproles is the one guy who would wake up the team. Oh, there he is. We we have something going. It sucks to lose that. But yeah, if you want to take a positive, it forces you to be a little bit more creative and not not kind of keep that home run threat in your back pocket and say, well, if we really struggle, we could just start feeding Sproles, even though this isn't a sustainable game plan. Um, again, I don't know if that's a positive, but um, it at least it at least forces them to do things a little bit differently. And, and it worked well yesterday against the not great team. Yeah. Uh, He was, he was, yeah. Here's one thing I'll say. This is from uh, Bleeding Green Nation and Brandon Lee Gowton, who generally is not an overreactor. But here's a headline. and I know, you know, they have sort of, I I guess, page view quotas or whatever. Eagles have a new three-headed monster. And this is the space where I feel like over the last 12 to 24 months, Eagles fans have slowly been, Russ, I give credit to Russ, he was the first to point this out. Eagles fans have slowly been morphing in the flyers plans as Flyers fans, as good as the running game looked yesterday, to your point, not a great, horrible running defense, perhaps in fact, um, like let's not get carried away here. Let's, let's try and, I want to be, I don't want to go overboard like we did last year and get so dejected come November because the schedule is going to pick up and it's going to get tougher. But, like let's just be happy without going overboard and stop you know let's not call it a three-headed monster yet just 2 weeks ago we thought LeGarrette Blunt like maybe heading for getting cut so let's just like let's just pump the brakes and say if we get a 9 and 7 team we will get into the playoffs and the Eagles have taken many good first steps and strides i think to put themselves in position to do that and the Cowboys scare us scare me none at this point Yes. And that hurt them. That hurt them. Well, sure. I mean, I think all sports do. Like, look back at the look back to 2008 Phillies for a second. Name me one guy who had a significant—you know, this is our local example because we remember a championship. But name me a guy who had an injury that year. You can't come up with, with anybody, like any impactful player who was hampered by injury. And, you know, that goes a long way in sports. And I think people— it, I'm always amazed when a guy gets hurt, you're like, Oh God, our season's over. And then you come out, like sprawls, right? And then you come out and you say, Hey, we could play without this guy. We don't need this guy. But then you forget at the end of the season when you lose in the first round of the playoffs. Or any sport. I'm not using sprawls as a specific example. You lose and you kind of forget that, oh yeah, had we had that guy, that could have made a difference here. And, you know, I feel like sometimes as fans we overlook the fact that that health is such a big thing because for we, we fill in the gaps for a little while and say, Okay, we could play without that guy, but it's in the long run that those injuries hurt you. It's not the short run. It's when you need you need a game breaking play late in the season or there's one small position, one spot on the offensive line that is a weakness and can't, you know, go up against a top five rushing attack. And um, yeah, I mean like look, if you're healthy if you're healthy and I would say the Eagles are not healthy. Like, <laughs> you have Fletcher Coxmas in a game. Sprouls is done for the year. Darby, even if he's going to come back, but how long is it going to take him to get his legs on there? that's a, you know, I imagine there's quite a, some level of scar tissue and soreness in his ankle. And, you know, you obviously lose some working out ability. Uh, so I don't know. But yeah, the, the Eagles are in a good spot. It's not a good division. Yeah. Um, one other thing I thought was funny. Uh, CSN, Comcast Sportsnet, officially becomes NBC Sports Philadelphia today. Um, I don't know if you saw my tweet yesterday, but they they sent out a press release about uh, naming conventions and how it's to be spelled and referred. Uh, they specifically mentioned, do not call us NBC Sports Philly. We are NBC Sports Philadelphia. Very next line. Very next line. Follow us on Twitter, at NBCSPhilly. Philly. <laughs> Yeah, so um I guess that reads better in a tweet, but you cannot call them NBC Philly, but you may follow them at NBC's Philly. What? Well, it's the same. Yeah. Well, I, yeah, I don't think anything from it's still everybody's still running the same thing. About two years ago, when they relaunched Philly Sports to, from Daily News Live to Philly Sports Talk, and they rebranded the set, um, that was the beginning of the NBCization. And I guess it's a smart move. If you're NBC, now you have this network of sports websites that all have the same branding and all has the same look and feel. And it's kind of the opposite. Whereas ESPN started as a national thing, and you know they don't have local. Uh, cable broadcasters, they have local verticals and local reporters and stuff. I think NBC is kind of doing it the opposite way. It's like, hey, we have this, we own now this network of, of regional sports networks. They're not in every city, but they're in most of the big ones. And we can, um, you know, just rebrand them and, and use all our resources across the platforms. It makes sense, but there's a lot of peacocks there. There's just a lot of peacocks. And I do feel like it loses. It, it,